everybody, this is episode 125 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris coming at you from Austin, Texas. I hope you've enjoyed my recent interviews with content creators. And today we're going to shift to someone who is a content creator also, but also dig more into a training topic with my guest today. We've got Michael Lovato coming on the show. He is a triathlon coach and former triathlon elite athlete who finished top 10 in Kona several times. I'll give you a little bit more of an update and introduction to him in just a second. Before we dive in, I've just got a a few announcements to make, a couple of intro items to cover here, and then I want to tee up the conversation with Michael, and then we'll jump right in. So this will be relatively short intro today. First of all, I've gotten several emails from you and thank you for asking about our next season of the podcast training virtual option that we offer and we've got lots of people in that program right now across 10 different countries and actually five continents represented in that group so it's a really global group that has a really good vibe we're going to be restarting with season four of our podcast training which will launch at the beginning of June. So we'll be starting in June for that training with the option to train for fall races. We'll have a speed track out of the gate over the summer. We'll also have a fall half marathon and fall marathon track for those that are racing in races from September through November. And then for those who might be racing in December or early January, then we would probably have you slide into the speed track over the summer, gear up that into the range, and then shift to a marathon-specific or half-marathon-specific track in August. That's exactly how we managed our season two of the podcast last year, and it worked well. So for those that are interested in our virtual programming through the podcast, look out for that to post on or before June 3rd with the training starting that week of June 3rd, gearing up for those full races. Again, could be speed track, could be half marathon, could be marathon. We'll have options for all of those things coming in the first week of June. So that's one option. The other thing we have to mention, of course, is we do have options in in various physical locations as well. Of course, as you know, here in Austin, we just started our fall training here last week in Austin at Rogue here and that's already underway but you can still join really anytime this month or early next month and easily get up to speed if you're in Austin and want to join us here. As a reminder we have four locations where we have runners meet in Austin of course at our main location near downtown at 410 Pressler Street but we also have a physical location in Cedar Park off of Old 183 and then we have two satellite locations one that meets at Anderson High School in North Austin, just off of Mopac there. And then we also have one that meets in South Austin near Circle C. So if you need options to meet with us in Austin, those are the ones. We also have Dallas Training, which will kick off actually this coming weekend as I'm recording this on May 11th. If you're interested in fall training with our Dallas group, we've got four different locations there three out of run-on stores in Dallas, run-on Mockingbird, run-on Richardson, and run-on Capel. And then we also have a satellite group that meets out of Allen High School in North Dallas, just south of McKinney. 
so if you live in Dallas and would like to train with us in person, that's an option for you. We're kicking off Houston training this month as well. Looking to start that on May 11th. Some of that will depend on the exact numbers we have as we're starting from scratch in Houston, but we'll have groups training out of the Texas Running Company in Sugarland as well as the Run On in River Oaks if you're living in Houston. And then for those in New York, we have ongoing training right now, training for New York races in early June. If you want to jump in now, including the Mini 10K in early June, but we'll also be kicking off in mid-June, June 15th being the date for that for our New York Marathon training. For those who are in New York, we'll have that meeting at the Columbus Circle New York Running Company, as well as the Jackrabbit Store in Brooklyn. So those are ways, if you'd like to train with Rogue, for you for you to do it, either in person in Austin, Dallas, Houston, or New York, and then, of course, via our virtual programming where you'll get to listen to me <laughs> coach you up every week via an extra 30-minute podcast for that virtual group, as well as through our online platform, Final Surge, where we interact with those athletes. So if you're interested in those things, check out that information. You can find the Austin or the virtual programming information at roguerunning.com. And you can find the information on Dallas, Houston, or New York at roguetraining.run.run. So check those things out if you're interested. And if you have questions, you can always email me, chris at roguerunning.com, and I can point you in the right direction. But we'll hope you join us if that's of interest. Now, let's tee up our interview here with Michael Lovato on running and training for running with the triathlon. Michael actually used to live in Austin, went to the University of Texas, which is how we in the Rogue family got to know him. He started triathlon at the University of Texas with the triathlon club there. We talk a lot about his intro into triathlon, perhaps unceremoniously in the interview. But then he went on to compete at the highest levels in the sport, including finishing several times at the top t- in the top 10 at Kona. Now lives in Boulder, where he is a triathlon coach, offers both in-person groups and has virtual triathlon coaching through his website, lovatoperformance.com. Michael's also involved with announcing for Ironman and doing announcing on race sites, as well as also doing commentating and sort of analyst type stuff with the sport of triathlon so has a really interesting perspective on the sport and since we haven't talked about running training in the context of triathlon then i think this is the conversation who may be interested for those of you who may be interested in that personally i had a triathlon phase of about three or four years in my time as an athlete did a couple of 70.3 races a couple of sprint triathlons Sorry, a couple of Olympic triathlons and lots of sprints in that phase. But ultimately decided for me, running was my first love and true passion. So now I stick to that world and it's been a long time since I've done a try. But I can appreciate the challenge that it is to train for three disciplines versus just one. And so one of the things we talk about with Michael, in addition to his background in the sport and general training concepts... We also talk talk about how to get better as a runner in the context of triathlon training for those that might have that interest or who may want to go check it out and try it out. So with that, as a little bit of an intro, let's talk to Michael Lovato. Welcome, Michael Lovato, to the show. How are you doing today, sir? I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show. It's, it's great to be a part of this. 
Well, I'm excited to have you on. I'm also excited to have on a fellow Cowboys fan. There you go. Hey, you did some which, research. <laughs> which which is which is a rare thing to find for me uh, at times because it's it's not easy being a Cowboys fan. But I wanted to start there just to kind of get my fix because I've been following the offseason closely. How do you feel about this team as it builds through the offseason and goes into next year after the playoffs last year? Oh, you know, I have to be I have to be I have to admit, like I'm so I'm sort of like I, I, I disconnect uh, a little bit from my my sports spectating, which is ironic because I'm a uh, you know, part of the stuff I do for a living is, is commentary and I watch sports and get paid to talk about it. But I disconnect. So I, I kind of try and make it special. So I'm not in touch right now. I have to say I'm a I'm a I've been a lifelong Dallas Cowboys fan, been following since I was about six when you had to pick. We had to pick between the Broncos and the Cowboys where I grew up. And so but no, I just so I, I have to you have to educate me and then I can chime back. So okay. I wish I had a better answer for you there. Well, first, how did you feel about last the end of last season? You know, it, it's like as a Cowboys fan, you got to be ready for heartbreak. You know what I mean? And that's <laughs> right. kind of the and so because you had the high highs and you think you're heading that way. I really did think we were heading that way. And then it's like, no. And it was it was. Uh, yeah. So it's I don't feel good, you know, but it's right. but I think that we've got good we've got good uh, prospects, you know, good players and we got a good momentum. And so if if if, you know, if we, <laughs> if we can just keep yeah. going as we started, as we were for much of the year, then it'll be a fun season end. Do you think we can do it with Jason Garrett as coach? You know, I'm going to say yes. What do you think? Yeah. Um, So on the fence, I go back and forth at moments. (laughs) You think, oh, he's, you know, he can do this. He can pull it all together. He builds that culture that's going to create a winner. But then at times I'm also frustrated by what seems like plain vanilla coaching Yeah. in a league that seems to be, pushed forward by those coaches that are experimenting, trying new things, pushing the edge, always doing something different like yeah. Belichick. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm concerned that Garrett is a guy who can get us to the playoffs, but can't get us all the way because I think perhaps you need to be a little bit more creative when it gets to winning in a conference championship game or a Super Bowl. Yeah. And that's good. That's probably a good, that's a good call. I mean, I, for me, like I'm a fan of, and this translates to kind of everything out throughout my life and coaching. And I, I'm a fan of change. You know, I, I really am. I think change sparks um, good things in general. Most people are resistant to it a lot of times, but I think that change and hopefully uh, even if it is more vanilla, like the change, maybe that, that just that, you know, uh, blanket movement is, is a good path forward. And so that's what I can hope for. If yeah. that makes sense. Well, we have had a good off season. I can report had a, oh, got a, a lot of good cost effective free agent signings. We also re-signed to Marcus Lawrence yes. as, as our key piece on the defensive side. And then of course we've got the draft coming up. So I feel good about our off season, feel good with our young team moving into next year. I think the big remaining question for this off season is, will we sign Dak to a long-term deal? Yeah. yeah. We shall see. Yeah, but which, I'm optimistic, and yeah. and maybe I'm hopelessly so as a Cowboys fan. But you kind of have to keeps be. Me, it keeps me coming back every year. All right, so let's talk. Let's let's talk about your your sport as a that you actually do for a living and have done for a living for a long time as an athlete and as a coach. Triathlon. You got into it, from what I understand, doing an intramural triathlon at the University of Texas here in Austin. Got it. Yeah, how, you get, yeah, how good. Was Thanks that, for how was that research. as your beginning? Yeah, how was that as a beginning? And 
So tell me about that first experience and how it evolved from there to ultimately being a pro that competed at Kona. Well, for sure. And that's, and you know what, I have super fond memories. In fact, I have one of these shirts, you know, you kind of, I try and get rid of a lot of the mementos of the past, but one of them that I hold fondly is the University of Texas. This is Texas triathlon. I have, I think the original, and then I have a follow-up about a decade later, but the, really for me, what got me into triathlon and got me excited about it was that was everything that was in that first day. It was, it was, and it really was a day. I mean, I was, I was kind of thinking I was going to be really good. And it was such a challenge that, um, that, 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 and that challenge is what I thrived on. I love the challenge. I went in thinking I'll be so good. I can, I can do all this stuff. I'm youthful and strong and have a bit of a background and, and I just got clobbered. And so that was, you know, that was neat for me, humbling, but it was, it was so challenging and it was a sprint. Um, but then the other side of that was the friends I met. I met a guy, I was just texting him this morning and he's a guy that lives about a quarter mile from me here in Boulder. And he was in that triathlon with me. And, and, hmm. and the, you know, they just, they became really lifelong friends and there was a small, but, but we all sort of, so the camaraderie, I feel like early nineties and late eighties, early nineties, the triathlon world was a lot smaller and it, it just was really cool. You know, a challenge, um, a friendship, a camaraderie, maybe sitting around afterwards having a beer and talking about how you did. So that's how I got started. It hooked me. I loved it. Was it tough that first one? Did you have any <clears throat> war stories from it? You know, it was it, the the cool the coolest thing was like I said, I, I went in thinking that I could do pretty well, and I got and I think my best war stories. You know, I got out on course. I mean, I can tell an extended version of this, which which I'll spare for uh, another time. But it's you know, I got into it and it was a multi-lap course. So it wasn't, it was, it was a 900 meter, 900 yard swim in the, in the, in the swim center there. So a lot of laps, uh, 36 laps or lengths. Mm -hmm. And then, and then we had to stay on campus. So it was, it was 22 laps going around, um, right in front of Bass Concert Hall up the hill. I mean, you know, down around through the backside of Bass. Essentially we looped around Bass Concert Hall 22 times. And wow. so, and it was a November day, a little bit, uh, Texas kind of fall wind, uh, misting, raining, wet roads. And so I stayed upright because I was pretty cautious, but a, a guy, I remember this guy crashing. It, it sort of epitomized the sport for me. This guy that was riding a pink diamondback a triathlon bike and racing in just a speedo it had crashed and he had skidded across the road and scratched himself up. And he was overtaking me, I think for the second time when he, when he went by. And I, it was, it was so cool because it, for me as a young kid, 20, 19 year old kid, I thought, well, that's the spirit. You know, this guy is down, but he's not out. He's, he's hurt, but he's, he's, he's winning and it was, or trying still. And so that, that really just, I think it impressed me um, a lot. And then the, the, just the second, quick side of that was when a was a woman named i knew both these guys by name michael niarko is his name and then anik suhami she rode by and she works in austin uh, a lot of bike safety stuff but she went blowing by me and, and it was the same thing it's like well here's a woman that's quite strong and to a to a buff and 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 brash 19 year old boy it's kind of hurts the ego to see a woman ride by <laughs> also in her speed in her swimsuit uh, and that, but it was great cause I was inspired. I thought, well, man, I just got my butt kicked by both of these guys and I chased them. And so those were the real war stories that I think f- helped form me. Um, and then I got the guy that won, it was 40 years old. So again, that was something that it, at, when you're 19, 40 is, is like one step inside the grave. You know what I mean? You're <laughs> right. like, hey, old guy. He, wow. 
So yeah, a lot of memories, you know? So that whet your appetite. And then from there, where'd you go? Well, it was, I I took a gradual approach. You know, I I got a lot better. I did a lot of Texas races. I joined the triathlon club. I met more friends. We traveled all over the state. Um, My first season I did, you know, 19 and under kind of thing. I got a couple of place placings in my age group, but it was, it was just a gradual process. The next year I felt like I got serious. I raced a lot more. I tried to get I dabbled on the ad, amateur uh, amateur national scene, and and got beat up. You know, it was sort of big pond, you know, sort of thing. I jumped in there and got got murdered. But it was after years and years. It took seven years where I finally got a lot better on a national level. Went to the age group world championships. I thought, oh, I can actually do well. Uh, I wasn't a I wasn't one of these you know meteors that go to the top. Um, a lot of folks in this, in the professional world, they do, they have a quick ascension and I just took my time and, uh, I tried really hard. I got there and by my seventh season, I decided they, next year I'm going to race pro. So year eight, I decided to race pro and kind of once again, went back to getting beat up. Um, but in that, I guess to sort of, you know, to sort of segue, I was really into short course, a couple of half Ironmans and. And then in 1999, I, I, I would say I accidentally qualified for Kona uh, because I didn't really want to go, but my friends wanted me to go. Um, they knew the importance of it, and I just kind of didn't. And uh, and I qualified, and I went. And then it, it truly was a big bunch of events. I met my wife, my now wife, about a month before I went to Kona. And it, and it was like two things that it became very instrumental in my life, my wife and, and uh, this amazing relationship that formed. And then, and then I went to Kona and I got hooked. And that changed my trajectory there with the sport where I really focused on long distance. So after getting your ass kicked in that first race, <laughs> what, what, what did it evolve to be for you? Obviously, it became a career, but what was it about the sport that kept you building in it? You know, I think I always, I think as I, as I look back now and, and this was, again, it was 1992. So we're going, what, 27, 28 years. It really was, I can see it more clearly now. I, I always loved the challenge. I loved the newness. Every race was different. Every venue was different. Every day you could do the same race each year and it would be different. Um, you, you could train frustratingly as all endurance sports are. I think you could train extremely hard only to feel bad on the day or make an error or, and so all of that as I just really thrived on that challenge. And it was, it drove me. I, I was, I think I believe pretty early. I had a pretty high level of confidence um, despite getting creamed that first day. I just, I was, ha- I was believed. And so I think I really felt like uh, I was going to win Kona. And I, I honestly, you know, I, I, I just, I always believed that was where I was meant to, to excel. And, and I just kept trying <laughs> over and over and over and over again. And it was, <laughs> you know, it was, there was a lot of, there's a ton of other stuff that really kept me going uh, in the sport, but that was, you know, that was a driving force for many years. Ultimately so. got top 10, three times in Kona. It's not, that's not bad at all. So oh, you've got you. that to hang your hat on. Thank you. Um, I've heard you talk about being self-coached for a long time. Correct. What was it like trying to figure it out on your own as, as your own coach? You know, it was, it was invaluable. I, I, as a, as a coach now, and as, as someone that, you know, believes in coaching, I, I, I'll still say that I think too many people go straight from, from 
you know, to a coach and never explore what it's like to learn their body and learn the ropes and make some failures on their own and, and make some successes. But for me as a self-coached athlete, I, I didn't have a coach until, until Dave Scott in 2000. Um, my, my mom gave me a birthday gift. So I'll pay for him for three months. It was a big deal. And, uh, uh, that evolved. She paid for six months, but it was, it was really, I coached myself all those years and a lot of friends, a lot of things you do, a lot of experimenting. It was fantastic. I don't, I would never trade it uh, because I do feel like I learned more about, I, well, I didn't have the expertise of, of telling me, you know, where to go and what, what pitfalls to avoid. I, I just, I learned from a ton of mistakes and I learned from, you know, what seemed to be my natural strengths and talents maybe along the way. So it was great. I, I really do think people need a little bit of self-coaching in their lives a little bit, yeah. you know, maybe some more than others, but yeah, that's the way I started. It also made me a, just a voracious reader in terms sure. of sure. coaching knowledge that I think developed to what now I can transfer to others today. What do you think some of your biggest mistakes were though, looking back as a, as a self-coached athlete? Well, I think, um, I think probably the biggest mistake that I made for a lot of years, even probably once I had a coach, uh, was go was, was just always going as hard as I could feeling like, it, you know, like if it was easy, I, I, I think even the easy was too easy. And, and, you know, you just kind of, especially in the youth in the 19 to early thirties or late twenties, you have a very great capacity to recover. And so I don't think I ever knew that some of the training was a little bit less effective. So I did learn later through that. It's like, wow, you, you really have to uh, pay attention. You have to set targets and then follow them. And of course, at the time we didn't have GPS or heart rate or even we had heart rate, we didn't have power. And so you really had to use your heart rate or your speedometer and, and just kind of be a little bit more tactical about it. But that was one big lesson, just, just the, you know, the confidence, I think, even in your training and your, your, your ego can be set aside to just kind of chill and go easy on an easy day and, and, and then go where you need to go on the harder days. Uh, so that was probably, that was a big one. So you mentioned Dave Scott, six-time Kona champion. They called him the man, I think, was his nickname. They did. You got it. <laughs> and yeah. so what did you learn from him? Because he's obviously an icon in the sport. I think the first first one inducted into the Ironman Hall of Fame, a yes. legend. Yes. His battle with Mark, his battles with Mark Allen, our yes. YouTube just fodder for ages. Yes. So what did you learn from him? He, oh, man, so much. I mean, I think I heard something recently in a podcast I love listening to. And they said, you know, I think in a lot of ways – your idols or the people you look up to most in a career way or a family with something in the way you look up to these people, you see, you see there's something, your own talents, you see them in them or your, the talents you have are possessed by that, that um, mentor or idol. And I, I honestly believe that a lot, the more I know, and I know Dave very well still, I see him on a weekly basis uh, here in town. And he, he, so I say that because I think, I think in, in some ways we're dramatically different, like dramatically, but a lot of his, a lot of the, the sort of talents that he has from a emotional, I think, standpoint and some of the, some of the ways that he carries himself that I think I shared or I, I enjoyed. And so what, why I say that, why it's important to mention now is he, he really was instrumental in, in giving me some training that really made me believe that I could beat 
anyone in the world. Like I could compete, I could do exceptional things. And I never won Kona, you know, I never, I never cracked the top eight, but, but I did, um, but I did really believe like he, he just instilled this, this, this belief and this like do the work and you can beat these guys. And, and that something about his, the way we related, I, it really resonated. He, he gave me confidence, the specific lessons. I mean, I could chisel one down for you, but, but really just overall, he was, he was just someone that I, I enjoyed following as a guide, even, even into the world of, you know, his public speaking or his commentary or his, or his coaching style on deck or at the track or, um, you know, just the way he treats people. A lot of that it, it, on and off the triathlon uh, race circuit. He's a guy that I just learned a lot from over the years. So he's obviously a tenacious <laughs> racer. Yes. What's he like? in person when he's not racing oh he's the same he's the same. he's a tenacious <laughs> guy so i mean he's 65 years old now and and he's 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 had some health uh, foibles some woes and some setbacks but he, that being said he you know he'll come swim a practice i coach and i watch him and it frustrates him because he's he wants to just he wants to race the 30 year old guy still you know he wants in training <laughs> you know in training and yeah and he's he's i've heard him say it in in public at a at a talk where he said, you know, I get out on the road, he rides his bike a lot, many days of the week. And he says, I see a guy up the road and that guy doesn't know I'm racing him, but I am chasing him down. And, uh, and that's Dave. He just constant measurement in a, in a, in a way it drives him, it drives him to do his best. And so he's very humorous though. He's got a great dry, you know, sarcastic sense of humor. Um, he's very frank and direct. Uh, you'll never, you'll never wonder what, what he thinks about you or what, you know, you'll never wonder with Dave. He's very open. And, and I think that's uh, an admirable trait, um, but he's, you know, he rubs some people wrong too. Cause you hear things you, you maybe don't want to hear, <laughs> Yeah, uh, but he's great. He's, not he's holding a, back. Yeah. He's got a huge heart, you know, he's got a huge heart, got three great kids that he's super proud of that are all grown and out of the nest. And he's, you know, he's just a, He's a very giving guy. I, and I'll say, I think he's the best coach in triathlon I've ever seen. I think he's evolved the stuff he does that he did in the, the stuff he did personally is nothing to do with what he does now and what he prescribes. And he's always learning. He's, uh, he's amazing. You know, he's, he's just, he's always evolving. He's, I think, I really think he's one of, he's, if not the best, one of the very best. So. What makes him that way? You think? Well, um, you know, he's, he just, he's, he loves, I think he loves excellence. You know, like he loves, he, he could have a 60, you know, I shouldn't say 60 now he's old in that, but I could, he could have an aging age group athlete that wants to do his best. And he's as passionate about that person as he is, you know, Chrissy Wellington when he coached her and he, he wants to see people do their best and get better. So he's doing that to himself as well. He reads, I know he reads a ton. He, he researches a lot. He's, you know, he's a guy that's that's not just recycling what he knew and what he did or what so and so did back in the day, so to speak. He he's always, you know, he's from diet to, to training methodology. The the track sessions he prescribes now are dramatically different than the ones he did when when I was one of his athletes. It's it's all just really cool. It's just he's I think he's always quest on a quest for new and, and change and learning. That is cool. So, yeah. You can teach an old dog new tricks. You can, you can, you absolutely can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so for you, you're in your evolution in the sport, we kind of talked about getting your ass kicked in that first race all the way to top 10 at Kona. And you've got some Ironman wins along the way, including Ironman Cozumel. 
Mm-hmm. What do you think the difference was for you between being a competitive athlete in that world and one who could win? Going from competitive to winning. I mean, yeah. I'll go back to the first. I remember very distinctly about five weeks out from the first Ironman I won, I had a race where I was where I was struggling. I was in the, I was in the, I had a great bike ride and I was in the, I was where I needed to be. I was in the hunt and I was struggling a little bit mentally on the run and physically a little bit too, but really mentally I was starting to just fall apart. And I was, there were some big names at the time that are legends now, Craig Alexander, Cam Brown from New Zealand and, 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 and um, a couple others that aren't as legendary, but I, they were in the race with me and they were around me. And, and I managed one beat me and I beat one. And it, it was like some, some of that racing itself gave me an immense confidence when I realized, wait a minute, you know, I just ran better than I've ever run. I was, I was about to, you know, I was getting past, I was dying, I was losing. And I turned around and ran an exceptional run for me at the time. And then I, I, I got third place and I beat some people and it was just like, Oh, wait a second. You know, now I am someone that can win. I can be world-class. This it's there. These guys have done it. I can do it. And that was, that was instrumental. And then five weeks later, I went on to win this Ironman against, again, some of my old heroes and people that had dropped out and suffered in the heat. It was a very hot day. And, and so all of that was it. Like that was a big, big moment. Those, those five weeks. And then I just, I carried that. I, I, I sort of prepped for Kona that year knowing that it was going to be a game changer uh, for me that, uh, and I took 30 minutes off my time. I took 30 spots off my finished place for 20 and, and launched into the top 10. So I think that really was where it was like, all right. And, and I, and I kept that for, I kept that probably even longer than it was really true. <laughs> I kept that belief that I could beat anyone. You know, it was, I think the last couple of years I raced, I was really, I was sort of washed up, but I, I was still get. I still believed, you know, somewhere I was like, ah, you know, and Cozumel was late in my career, so I kind of still believed I could, I could take home the big prize. I, don't, self, I hope that answers. Self belief. <laughs> yeah, yeah self belief was. Yeah, it it really was. I, I I honestly I think that was my, that and sort of just my mindset, of just remaining positive and and kind of a lot of these buzzwords you hear in the current day. Like I was. I never really dwelled. I managed to stay pretty positive and present in those moments. And, but I always believed. like, it's funny. I, I joked with Amanda. I'm like, man, I was, my wife, I was, I was really believed that. Like, I mean, I always believed I was going to beat Craig Alexander and this guy set the course record in Kona. And like, I never really touched him outside of that one race. And uh, I always believed I could beat him. And, and, and I, I remember when he started Ironman, I was talking to him at a party and he was going out riding. And I was like, I just, I was like, oh, you know, like I honestly believe he's going to come into Kona. I was just going to clobber him. <laughs> and he got second <laughs> that year and I, or fourth. And I was like, I got, I got eighth or ninth. I got ninth. So, but, but yeah, self, self-confidence and belief. And it was, you know, I earned it. It wasn't like just a made up thing, but I, I do think that was a game changer. And I do try and help my athletes earn that to whatever level they're at, you know, and I, I do coach a top guy. I do coach some older age group. I coach the gamut, but it's, I do always try and give them the, the training and the, the victories in training to, to gain that belief. I, I think that's essential. I think it's the most essential. thing. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, it's interesting. I just came back from Boston. We had a bunch of rogue athletes there and that's a big goal in our world of adult athletes who want to get there. And it's interesting when you watch the trajectory of somebody that that believes rationally or not, 
that they belong and those mm-hmm. that don't. And the trajectories are often very different. So true. So true. Yeah. No, so true. It That's seemed it. like another thing that was big for you in your career was staying healthy. You know, yes. you were able to train consistently, race consistently without major injury. And that obviously is a big hallmark of improvement. What did you do to maintain that injury-free nature? Well, a couple, I mean, I'll give you, I'll be totally honest here with part of it. I do believe I was built a little bit more resilient than others. I think I was, I had a bit of a couple of just maybe natural things. I had, I always had a very, very high testosterone. I figured that out later in my career when I, or, you know, in when I started doing blood work and testing numbers to see if I was okay. And I think recovery was, was good with that. I think structurally and, and, you know, I was a stronger individual, bigger individual, I think that helped me, um, but but also, you know, I, I have to reference there was, you know, when I first started triathlon, and I was a, I was a sprinter, I was a short distance runner, I was a 100, 200 meter, I was a 400 meter runner, I was a hurdler, I was all short, fast twitch stuff in high school, and I went to college, I started triathlon, and I really wanted to join the Texas track team, like I really wanted to walk on. I had a friend that was there, she was on the women's team, and. I said, I want to walk on. And I walked on and the, the coach, Dan Huntsman at the time, he goes, you're going to be a distance runner. I said, why? He said, well, you just did triathlon. You, you know, you're a triathlete, you're a long distance runner. And I said, all right. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I bring this up. I, I, I went from running about 10 or 15 miles a week <laughs> to, to, to trying to run with the Texas guys. And, and they ran twice a day. They're running 80 miles a week. And and I, and I literally, like I went to, the first thing that got me was IT band syndrome. I never even heard of it before that. I got t- IT band syndrome. I got some plantar fasciitis. I, I got all the classic stuff. And I just, you know, I was probably 180 pounds and all muscle. <laughs> and I was just trying to run with all these guys. That, and, and, and I got those injuries. I came back. I got a little smarter. I got, I tried to get a little better. I skipped a bunch of workouts that, that I thought, you know, I just, I, and then I, I came back and then at the middle of that season, I got a stress fracture, tibial stress fracture. And it just, it just, I'd honestly think it was, it may be that my personality is not good at being sick or injured. And I know nobody likes it, but I, I think I'm a bit of a whiner. So I, <laughs> I got, I got that injury and it really scarred me. Like, I just thought I never want to do this again. <laughs> and so I think I built a little bit of caution into my, into my training. I, I built a little bit of, I tried to be reasonable. I, I tried to re- remember that um, forever. And it, and it did, I do think it was early enough in my, you know, I sat out six to eight weeks. I did the whole deal. I came back real slow and I never had another fracture ever. Um, but that was, so that was huge. You know, it was like I, a taste of the, of the medicine I never wanted to have. So I, I, I did manage to keep, I don't think I was injured for five years. I had another little injury um, maybe an overuse injury to a muscle that I, I was, I was, I was just, you know, uh, 1999 actually. And, and so, yeah, there were just two or three injuries my entire career. And it was, I think I did start doing strength training and I did start to get very smart and accentuate those little, uh, gifts I might've had with, you know, the resiliency I did, I did focus on the gym. I did try to be reasonable. I, I, I'm a, I'm a gifted sleeper, or at least I used to be, I, I, I would sleep a ton. I would sleep nine to 11 hours, you know, through the height of my career. So I think that's probably the best way I could explain how I stayed relatively injury free. Sleep, man. So sleep huge. is it's huge. Def- right? Yeah. Definitely a big, a big topic. I think it, 
in a lot of ways amidst the flourishing other modalities from massage to cryo to ice baths to everything else, nutritional supplementation, everything else that people have been talking about for the past decade. Sleep has been an underrated thing that seems to finally be coming back around as important in balancing recovery as our most important recovery tool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And it's, you're totally right. I mean, I, I, I don't know how it gets overlooked and it was a, I used to actually have a web, I think my website still says that I got this whole website, I need to revamp it, but you may have been on there at michaelavato.com and it's like, it said on there, part bear, all American. And the reason it said that part bear, all American was because, well, I tried to be an all American guy, but it was like the part bear wasn't because I was, you know, like, I don't know, fierce or growling or hairy. It was because I slept like, it's because I hibernated. And my, and Dave used to have, Dave Scott had terrible insomnia. He's a horrible sleeper. And he used to always tell me that he's like, gosh, Michael, you're like a bear, you know, and it sort of stuck (laughs) because I just, I would, and I, and I knew it and I valued it. And I, and I, my wife, I was lucky that my wife was racing and training every step of the way of my career. And she and I would just prioritize getting in bed early. She was really good at helping me keep the schedule, go to bed early, get up when you get up, try not to, you know, just, we slept a lot and, you know, me, I think me more than her, but she was, it was, it was huge. We just highly valued that. And I think now I tell my athletes, but, but they really struggle with it with, I think with today's distractions and, and, um, you know, life, (laughs) I think they do. Yeah. They just so much going on. Right. Yeah. Well, and if you're not a professional athlete, you have a lot of other things going on sometimes that are hard to balance from career to kids to everything else. Correct. And it's hard to, it's hard to fit it in. You can't necessarily take a nap in the afternoon. Like correct. Some pro athletes can. Correct. No, it's massive. And I, and I sort of say that now, cause I do see that as, as I went to the other side and dramatically dropped the training off and, and, and now have two kids and went through both of them being newborns and, build a career, build another career, kind of grow, you know, grow, I should say everything. It's like, we really shifted our priorities and, and now I still value sleep, but I look at what's the, you know, what's the amount that I need, you know, and when you stop, well, you, you still have to focus on it, but it may be, it's just a different part of the equation. So if I were trying to be like the age group athletes now to me are the most impressive um, time management, most like the really good age group athletes that are working jobs, having families, training hard, going to Kona, going to Boston. Those, those guys are incredible. Those women and men are, are incredible. They, they do such a great job managing their time and, and, and being, yeah, I mean, I think most of the time, right. They do a great job. Right. Um, and I'm, I always marvel at that because, because they do have to give up sleep. So, <laughs> no doubt. so, yeah. So you mentioned being a coach. If you were to summarize your coaching principles in two or three big points, what are they? You know, the, 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 yeah, the best, the, the best thing I'd say is I really try and learn. I try and everything's, everything's individualized. I, I don't ever, I, I very seldom will give the same thing to, to a different person. And, and the reason is I just, I know that the best thing you can do is be consistent. So I, and back to my career, like I hate taught forced time off. I absolutely despise it. I don't hate many things, but I hate when someone has to take a weekend off. I hate when someone has to stop because they're injured. I hate when someone has to skip something because they're sick. And so to me, you know, the, the golden ticket is finding out the athlete's path to consistency. 
what's too little, hmm. what's, you know, what's too little to allow consistency. Cause you don't, cause you, you know, you never get anywhere or you, or you, you don't establish the resiliency and what's too much that you get overtrained, sick or injured. So um, it's really, and everyone's so different. So the challenge is what, what's your consistency path. So for me, that's the biggest thing, find it out, put them in there and keep them in there. And, and then uh, the second, so that's just big for me, consistency. It's the ultimate, it's the, it's the one thing every athlete I coach has to have. And when they don't, I see them going nowhere. And I have those that I've athletes I've been coached for decade, 12, 15 years. And, and there some of them are at the same place they were when they started relatively, you know, pace wise, because they've been, right. they stop for six months or they get hurt or they get injured or sick or they quit or they, um, so that's number one. And then number two, I think is, um, is change. And I just, and this one frustrates people because they like routine and they like to do every Tuesday uh, a run and every Friday another kind of run. And, and I, I like to change it up. And we do keep a couple of hallmarks. We have a Wednesday run I do every w- week all year, but, uh, but I change it. So you, you're always looking at something different. If, if the, the body ages, the athlete changes across the course of a season, across the course of your life season. So I have to be adapting. I have to change you. And if, your body's smart. If I don't change what I'm telling your body to do and what you're telling your body to do, it stops adapting. It adapts to it. And it stops. It stays there and you, and you stuck and then you don't make gains. So I'm always, I always try and change, change, change. Um, and sometimes that change is, is sending an athlete or that athlete going to another coach because either I've exhausted the, my, my arsenal of thoughts or ideas, or they are frustrated with the process or they just move on. And, and that's fine. I think change, you know, in the end, you know, you see, and you see this, you've seen this, I know in running and you, you go to a new program and there's almost always an uptick in performance. It's keeping that uptick going. That's the challenge. Uh, right. But, but I think change and consistent change and consistency. Those are the two things I try and pay attention to. I like it. It's hard with change sometimes because athletes do like to have those hallmark workouts yes. that they can point back to season after season and say, well, if I did that last time I, and I did better this time, that means I'm going to be better for racing. But as you say, then that, you know, you're, you're basically what you're showing there with improvement is not necessarily improvement towards the end goal, but improvement on a workout, it, yeah, which good is point. irrelevant. Yeah. Good point. Yep. That's a good way to say it. Yeah, because I would say, I mean, I always think that I, I and I actually just have to say, I mean, before we close that out, like I think too many people compare too much to the same to that same thing. And they do look back and they say, I never race well unless four weeks before the race, I do this 20 miler at that pace or whatever. And it's like, well, did you forget right. that that was a year ago and you're a whole year's worth of of training better or a whole year? You know, like there's so much you're just a different person. And so I just feel like, you know, doing and it is, I, I do understand that need that athletes have, but I try and wean them off of it and give them little doses of it to make them feel happy. But I don't really feel like that's a effective um, most of the time <laughs> in an effective right. route. But When you're looking at an individual's path to consistency, as you say, what are the variables you're considering? You know, uh, I was, you know, to back to what we just said, what's your ability to recover? What's your, what's your work schedule? What's your family commitment? What's your desire? Uh, what are your goals? Um, it's, it's, I'll never forget the first time I had to confront an athlete back in 2003 that was telling me, he's like, Michael, I, 
I don't want to hurt. And I, it just was like, whoa, <laughs> oh, okay. Now I, I'm, wow. Once I finally grasped that, the way he phrased it, I said, oh my gosh, because I was trying to get him to this time and that time and an Ironman. And I realized he's like, I want to go as fast as I can without hurting. And so that was huge. So you have to know what people want to do. Uh, more specifically to your question, how do I assess it? It's like, it, it, I try to be quick about it. I try and observe and see how people, I rely on their feedback. I really do. Uh, you know, sort of qualitative feedback and then all of the data. And I just, I use training peaks and I use their charts and their graphs and I see where they're going. I watch their lines and see that, see the progression, the dots and see where they move. But I cross check that with, you know, are they grumpy? Do they look happy? Are they doing what they need to? Are they giving me feedback like um, that, that tells me that we're on? Uh, it is, I will say that's the biggest, I think that's the heart, the biggest, hardest challenge the toughest part of coaching is 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 getting to know someone as soon as you can and finding their consistency because you don't want to underdo them um because then they may fall off or not reach their reach their best but you you certainly don't want to overdo them you just want to find that little sweet spot and it's uh but yeah the i guess i'm not sure if i answered you you know no no it's good it's interesting because it is as you as you say. It's a little bit different with everyone, mm-hmm. and part of part of coaching, I think, that's hard to articulate. Is I think good coaches have an intuitive feel for what someone needs that maybe they don't have an algorithm for. A hundred percent. So it's hard, so it's hard yeah. to articulate. It's it, hard to articulate what exactly is going in that black black box in your head. Yeah, and you know, sometimes it's sometimes it's funny when I have a lot of times, I'll especially with the elite athletes, the pro athletes. I'll, 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 I'll try and meet with the significant other, the spouse or girlfriend, boyfriend, and just say, you know, sometimes you guys are the best way to give me a little hint. Like if you're, if your person is always happy, go lucky. And you, you can just call me when you see them get grumpy. I may, I may find something out that will be massive for me that they're not going to share with me or that I won't see on the graph. Um, and so you have to get, and then everyone has to be okay with that. So they're not feeling like they're getting ratted out, you know, but it's, it's really just, you know, it's just those little things are, are really good indicators um, that you can put in that, that black box, as you said. So let's talk about somebody who might be considering triathlon or newer to the world. Sure. Personally, I had a little bit of a triathlon. I call it my triathlon phase. Yes. Th- <laughs> three or four years where I'd been running and decided I'm going to go try this try thing for a little bit. And I remember being so intimidated buy it because of all the gear and the three different disciplines and I was a runner but didn't really know what I was doing with the swim or the bike so what would you tell somebody who's newer to the sport where should they start you know I so I think that it can be very intimidating so to me I think the the if there are in the area and there seems like it seems like there are in most areas now but find a find a group or a club or a team or a um, find, find people because it, it's, they can, I think they can put your mind at ease, just people to go with and do stuff so that you can be told what doesn't matter, what gear you don't actually need. And you can feel, I think that support, um, because it, it does, you don't, it is intimidating. I mean, it, especially now, like, I think it's more intimidating because even people, yeah, to be honest, uh, no, it was always like this. I remember, I mean, I remember, 19, <laughs> I remember walking into a transition era and this guy, 
I, I remember my mom and I, she was there and I was staring at this guy and he was, he was, we're like, that guy's, he scared everyone. And he was terrible. He just looked like he was really good. He, he was just like the rest right, of us. Right. He was terrible. Like he just getting started, but he looked so good and so fast and so strong. And he had this cool bike. And I think it can be very intimidating. And I think having people around that just tell you, it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter how, how cool your bike is. When you're starting out, it's like just, you know, I did my first several races on a mountain bike that, that, and a, you know, in soccer shorts and a tank top and running, <laughs> yeah. you know, and running shoes. And it was, and I was fine. And I, I pulled those soccer shorts over my speedo. Cause like, you know, I wanted, I didn't want to <laughs> run around my speedo. <laughs> and, uh, so I think it's, I think finding people getting in that environment, have some fun with it a little bit, set your goals, be serious, but have some fun. Don't take it too seriously as, as a lot of triathletes do. Um, so hopefully those environments still exist because <laughs> I think that's the yeah. way to go. They do. They Good. do. I think the Good. one of, I can, I do remember one of my more satisfying moments. I think it was in my second race, just a sprint distance, but passing a guy on a time trial bike on my, my little $250 used specialized <laughs> right. uh, road bike that I'd bought. There's nothing more satisfying than blowing by somebody with an right. aero helmet and a right. TT bike. Right. Exactly. Who just has the money, but maybe isn't quite there. there exactly. Exactly. Yes. And that's, yeah. I think the one thing I, the one thing I would advise people to do, <clears throat> depending on their aptitude for the swim, if they don't have aptitude for the swim is to get a specific swim coach or instructor. Yes. You know, for me, that was important because I grew up in the water, but I'd never grown up on the swim team, never really learned proper strokes. And so the first time I got in the pool to try to swim laps, you know, I was barely making it to the other side without having to grab the wall and stop every between every lap. And, and I think with the swim, because stroke and form is so important, having somebody who can get you on the right path there is really important. I think you're, that's a great tip. I think that's a great tip. And most people are uncomfortable in that. So great, great advice. So let's talk about constructing the week. And I know obviously there's ranges for this, but as, as a running coach who sometimes advises people on their triathlon schedules, how many times are you typically recommending somebody run per week? How's a week constructed? Mm -hmm. What are the variations you might see for people? How are you yeah. building these things? That's a good question. And I think so, because I think that we we do run into trouble because we, because I, I personally believe that triathlon is a, as different to running as, as uh, you know, marathon is to the, to the hundred meter dash. And, and I think that we can get in trouble. It's its own discipline. And so a lot of, and I do believe so. So for me, I'll just cut right to it. Like I think a lot of traditional running schedules and, and we see this very often where a Sunday long run and a Tuesday speed work, and then a Friday interval session of some sort. So Tuesday and Friday are key hard runs and Sunday is a long run. And, and that's not everyone, but this is very common. You see a lot of the running groups around here follow that. And I think that that, I think that, I don't think that works for the majority of triathletes because I don't think we, because we have to add in two other sports that each have to have hard efforts as well, hard days. And so what I like to do to address that, um, if we do, if, First things first, if we're addressing the general public that tends to work and has a nine to five or works Monday through Friday or has school commitments or whatever, we do stick with a regular plan. If I have a free, if I have a free bird, that's like, man, I don't, I'm retired or I'm, I'm a pro. 
I'll often get away from the seven day schedule, often get away from Sunday long runs, just mix it all up. But if we just go with the constraints that are pretty general and we keep that Sunday long run, uh, so you can maybe find a group or you can find that that environment that helps you get through it or whatever. So Sunday long run, we don't we do our key run on Wednesday and it's only really one key run fresh. It's a track session or a hill session or a combo. It changes throughout the year. But I don't like doing hard work. I don't like an athlete doing a track workout on Tuesday because I don't think they're ready um, recovered. And I think it's too much. And then I also don't think that an athlete that, that just, that does triathlon at a higher level really wants to, or anyone wants to, should do two key hard runs fresh. Um, so the Tuesday, Friday thing, I just completely scrapped that. I'd say, um, so Sunday running wise, Sunday be a long run. Most often, most people need a day off after the long run and it's a good day to only swim and bike. Um, and gym, some people it's off completely. Some people it's just swimming legs are off, but I give most of these, most athletes, I don't feel like they can run the next, the day after that long run because they've ridden hard on or long on Saturday. And then depending on the time of year and the athlete, some days, all some parts of the year, Tuesday is a very hard bike ride, short and hard. Uh, but as you get fitter, I'll often push that to, to Thursday. Um, and then, and so and then Wednesday is a key run. Often, t- often Tuesday, it'll be an easy run. Um, and that can be 30 minutes easy for a, a more of a novice, or it could be up to an hour, hour and a half, hour 15 even, if it's someone that can handle the higher load. Uh, but it's no intensity. And then, yeah. and then Wednesday, some of my athletes, I'll, I'll say, all right, you're already going hard. And if they're resilient enough, they will get a double run on that day. They'll run an easy second run. Um, and then Thursday... I, I Thursday or Friday. So again, I move it around. Like I told you before, I do a lot of change, <laughs> but, the, but, but I'm giving you some basics, you know, may, maybe they'll do a, 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 a hard ride on that Thursday and then a very a challenging sort of hill run on Friday. Um, and this will be a phase. And then Saturday will be a long ride. And some athletes will do a short run right after, but some athletes I'll make them rest all day long and they run in the afternoon and they hate that, but it's, it gives them, it doesn't tend to cause injury. It tends, it doesn't like, there's a massive toll you have to pay if you run off the bike off a long bike often. So we sometimes just skip that. Um, I, I'm a huge believer in, in runs off of short bikes. So then if I came back to it and said, well, what do you want? If you want more intensity, I would say, uh, you do, and this one kind of stings, but you'll do like a hard workout on Wednesday. So maybe it's long run Sunday, no run Monday, easy run Tuesday. Wednesday is a hard run on the track. Thursday, you do a bike ride that's only an hour, hour and 15 minutes, but you do a key run off the bike. So you may run 30 to 75 minutes off the bike and with some intervals or with some tempo or with some race specific stuff like quality. And so that stings, right? Cause you've just run hard the day before. But if the runners advance or the athletes more advanced and you've gotten used to my program or you've gotten used to the miles, it's really effective. And then Friday is pretty easy. Um, and then, and then there's, and then you also, I like the ability to move that Thursday session to Friday. So you could say, all right, well, you need to have a very aerobic day on, on Thursday and really just no muscle breakdown here, just a lot more chill. And then Friday is that key brick I described. Um, so, 
hopefully that gives you a little picture. Yeah. So that's a decent amount of running. It, you know, it is, I think, so the lead I'll have, I, I think people need to run. I think, I think the, the running is, is, but okay. Like three to, to, to six days a week, you know, and, and, right. and that's, and that's, so a guy, the guy, I, I coach one guy, Chris Leiferman, and he's, he's done four Ironmans and he's won three of them. And he's, and he's gotten third in the other one. So he's had a very good success rate at the Ironman. And when I have him in the spot, I like him to be in from a training standpoint, he runs six days a week and sometimes seven runs. Um, but it, but it's, again, I have to really watch it because he's such a strong and fit athlete that he can get hurt and he can get injured and he is on the edge. So we do have to manage that to keep his consistency alive. It's a giant puzzle. I've been, you know, I've been working on for six years <laughs> and, um, yeah. it's fun, but it's hard. And so, but if, if we went back to like, a, I've got a 47 year old guy who works a busy job as two kids that are in school and a wife and that likes to exercise. So this is a very hit average sampling. He, every week it's three or four runs, three or four runs. That's it, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and when he can handle it four, when he can't three and that's, that's adequate. But I do think, you know, if you've got seven days in the week and you take three sports, you want to do three or four of each if you can. Um, I think that's useful. Yeah. I mean, but I've seen some Ironman scheduled with two runs and I've always thought that was not enough as, yeah. you know, but I'm of course, of course, biased as a runner. Well, it's the, I mean, you're smart too though. Cause like we, people love to ride the bike. They don't like swimming and running is hard. So, so in general, people <laughs> right. underdo the, the hardest, you know, and, and guess what, when, yeah. when you, how many stories have you heard? Oh, I was on pace for this up until that. And it's like, well, no, you were on pace for whatever your finish was. <laughs> um, right, exactly. and, uh, and so people underdo the run. They really do. And the run is, is so hard. Um, so if you can do runs and walks or double runs, it's like, I'm a big believer in that. Just time on your feet is is going to go a long, long ways for an Ironman. So you talk about a long run every Sunday, long ride on Saturday. And sometimes I flip that. that. Yeah, flip flop that. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. But that's pretty standard every week hitting both of those at longer distances on both the bike and the run? As an average sample, yeah. I mean, with the people that can handle it. Yeah. And so if I look at another guy who I love coaching, he's 65 and or 67 now actually he started he was 65 he's coaching for three years he's he's retired and i i'll watch i'll i'll do like so the long ride shrinks it'll dramatically shrink one week and then the long ride like maybe he'll get long long you know short long so the short long ride run you just have to manage as as the recovery later in, in your life your recovery is not as good so of four sundays he may get three long runs one month instead of four, or he may get two. Um, and you just, or this week, for example, that very athlete has two hour runs and it's a good way for me. I said, just get up, go run and then hang out all day, relax, you know, do nothing and then warm up, stretch, activate, get yourself ready and like four o'clock go for another hour run. So he yeah. gets two hours of running, but there's no cumulative uh, wear and tear. Yeah. For then for a 70.3 and then for a full Ironman, what, what, will be the longest runs that your athletes will do? Mm. So basically it's it for someone that's an experienced athlete, I'll run them 22 miles is the long run, but we, but I like to do a four or five mile second run. I like to get, I like to get, 
I, I seldom do a 24 mile run reason being, again, it break, you break down and we're not marathoners. We're Ironman, you know, an Ironman is, it has 26.2 miles, but it's not a marathon. It's very different. I, I really right. believe so. So we'll do 22 rest and then do four to, to five. If it's an advanced athlete, um, if it's, and that's, and that's the longest for 70.3, I love 17 miles. I feel like is the ideal over distance. So if I can get someone that only does 13.1, I'll try and train them really for 17 miles as their endurance boosting. And then we alternate, we may do 17. And then the next week it's 12 miles with some really uh, specific intervals, you know, around their pace. Um, and then, and then on the, on the other side, an athlete that's will go time-based and we'll just say, okay, we're never going to get you out there for 26 miles. It's going to be four or five hours. And I think if it were a marathon athlete, they may want to do that. They may actually want, you know, you may see, I just think you may want to do that because you're running closer to your potential, your highest potential of running, but triathlon, we're typically far off. So I would say, but I would still look at, I've got an athlete doing Ironman Texas and, you know, we, we just made her, she did, she did 20 and she's a 52 year old woman. And, and, but that was a stretch. Like we got to get this 20. Sometimes it's just time. I'll say like, let's break it up. I'm going to give you two and a half hours in the morning and an hour later in the day. Now you're getting three and a half hours of running. It's a massive, uh, uh, prep phase here, but you'll, maybe that athlete only got 18 miles (laughs) or 16 miles. So, um, yeah, so hopefully that answers a little no, bit. No, I love it. I love it because it's, I often see these tri schedules that are, in my opinion, short circuit the distance on mm-hmm. the long run. You'll see 18 miles a lot of times for the peak long run for Ironman athletes and you know, maybe 12, 14 for the, for the 70.3. And in my argument to some of my athletes that are showing me this is, that's not enough. Let's try to amp that up a little bit, obviously balancing all the variables. Yes. So it's good to hear. It's yeah, good to totally. hear a, a triathlon coach confirm that because I, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just a I'm just a running coach. I play a triathlon coach on TV. Yeah. No, you're yeah. right. You're on to that. I, it's important. Yeah. So then a couple more questions. Let's talk about workouts during the week. How are you balancing those throughout a cycle? And what do they look like? Throughout the week, um, like the Wednesday know, workouts, what yeah. do they typically look like and how do they evolve? So, yeah, so I, we stay off the actual track, the, usually January, February, depending if when and where the athletes based. I had some Southern Hemisphere folks that raced down there and they're obviously flip-flopped, but, but I like to avoid the track and we do a lot of hill work. Um, I, I like to do, we have some really great running spots as does Austin, you know, like a Wilkie, that's a great hill or, or. Yeah. Or, you know, just I used to love scenic, uh, you know, those mo- sort of mile repeats you can do up and down hills. That, that stuff, yeah. I would have a field day if I, if I lived around there. But here we do some hill, we do a, a section of hills followed by some 1K loops. We do combos. There's an uphill, downhill mile that's real gradual, about 3%. And then we run right onto the track for some turnover. So a lot of stuff like that. I try to do, there's a... There's a 1K concrete bike path loop that's that's perfect because it's 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 just hard. It's like just steep enough to really hurt, but it's flat enough to make you work hard. You can still you know run properly. So we do stuff. I try and do stuff that's very real world. 
Um, so you get, so you're ready in a triathlon. You're not, we don't ever do track, you know, we don't run the track. We don't have good closed courses. We're, we're often irregular or things change or blah, blah, blah. And I think, um, so, so we, so I try to prepare for that. Uh, that being said, the last two Wednesdays we did track next week, we're off the track. Um, yesterday was a fun session where we did eight kilometers for the fat, for the longest, uh, eight by one kilometer, but four of them they got, they, I made them take a hundred meters. So it's like four, it's like eight by a K four of them are fast. Do your thing, get, hit the target pace, 200 recovery jog. The other four, I made them select a hundred meters where they, where they backed off the pace and they regrouped and then they worked hard again. So it was like, maybe someone would do 400 hard, hundred easy, 500 hard. And I, I do this because that's something that people mentally really struggle in triathlon with the idea of slowing down or the idea of taking a regroup or going through an aid station and walking. And, and I, I try and show them a way that it's okay. So if you plan on walking or slowing down, you feel good about it. But if you just are forced to walk or slow down, you feel bad about it. So we really, so I right. say, guys, like not only look at this overall K time and see that it's still pretty good, but also get experience. Know that I want you to do this. If you know, if you're running along and you feel like it's too much, slow down. You know, rally. Br- yeah, slow down, rally, re- right. re-engage. And so we did that in the session, and I think people really thrived with it. And hopefully, they took a skill that they can utilize in the race. Um, but the Wednesday runs are a favorite. Like we, you know, we do, and I don't tell them. It's all surprise. It's never written down. They don't see it the day before, the week before. They don't even see it during. They find out. They find out when I tell them, when I come back, I'll sometimes I'll say you have four, like that session, I said, do two Ks, come back. I said, do two more. And, and it's maddening for some people, the control freaks, but it's great for the people that, and I say that lovingly, I love control freaks, but it's, <laughs> but it's, but it's great because, you know, again, we deal with the unknown in races. And so now you have to, if I tell you, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, but you have one more mile, that's going to give you a really good skill to deal with on race day when you go off course or when it gets really hot or when the course is mismeasured or when you bonk or when you cramp. Um, so we, it's all sort of, I spring it on them and they, and they, they are forced to kind of develop those tactics. Um, so that's another, yeah. Last question. If you have, if you have one more minute, last question, let's talk nutrition. Obviously if you're out there for four and a half to 15 hours if you're doing an Ironman, Mm -hmm. nutrition is huge. How do you equip people on that side? You know, I'll give you the base. The basic thing is practice, practice, practice. I I feel like nobody does a good job actually doing their nutrition in training. Nobody. It's like, okay, if I wanted you to run a 40-minute 10K and you never, ever, ever trained at four-minute kilometer pace or faster, could you do it? Would you have any confidence that you could do it? Or would you be like, no, I've never run that. I can never run that. But we, and it sounds ludicrous to even say it, but in training and in nutrition, rather, we, we just, we read about it. We think about it. Our coach tells us what to do. So-and-so did this. I thought about doing that. I got, you know, but we never, ever really address it properly and systematically. So I make, I, I try to enforce that people have at least weekly, um, sessions where they tr- do race fueling and regular consistent fueling. Whatever it is, is different for every athlete, different distance, different conditions, but you have to 
familiarize yourself with it. And then, and that's just it. Just practice, practice, practice. Cause you know, we've all pedaled up to the Seven Eleven and stopped and sat there and chunked down a million calories and then ridden off and <laughs> felt like a million bucks. And then, and it's like, Oh wait, would, would you, you know, that's not race specific. <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah. that's, I think that's the quickest answer is just like, you have to familiarize yourself with the, with the plan. Well, that and the other part of it is it's so individual that what works for that yeah. other person next to you isn't going to work for you. So you got to experiment, see what works for you and then engage that for the race. You got it, Chris. That's it. Yeah. So thank you, Michael. This has been an awesome discussion. Really, really appreciate the time. Of course. No, thank you very much. And yeah, happy to do it and happy to be involved. And I, you know, I appreciate you guys having me on. There you go. Michael Lovato, everyone. Again, you can check out more on him at lovatoperformance.com or if you happen to want to find a virtual triathlon coach, that's where you can go. Hopefully, if you're into triathlon, you learn some things. If you're not, maybe it piqued your interest to give it a shot. I do think it is something to potentially try here and there if you're looking to mix things up in your life and maybe get away from the running a little bit, see if you have interest in another thing it's also a good way to give yourself a mental break from that continuous grind of road racing sometimes so check that out and hopefully these insights will help you on that path if you choose it as always thanks to my guest michael lovato for joining thanks to you guys for listening you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on instagram twitter or facebook at roguerunning until next time we'll talk to you soon